Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, it is Ruben from Dub, the video communication platform. What is Dub? Well, Dub is a way to easily create videos from Gmail, LinkedIn, CRMs, email. There's a dashboard, a tracking platform. It's pretty cool. Check it out, dub.com. Um, today, I'm with Craig, and I'm super excited to talk to Craig about the future <laughs> because Craig is actually a futurist, and I think I need to understand better what that means. I've always been enamored by that idea and that philosophy. Um, Craig, let's get into it. What's your, what's your story? Yeah, so when I was 10 years old, my family went to visit relatives. I grew up in Long Beach, California, and my mother's English, and my dad's from New Zealand. We call people from New Zealand Kiwis. And we used to go home, and so going home, I was going home to England, as my mom would say, and visiting relatives. And my great uncle was in his flat, and I was going to visit him. And uh, he was sitting there in like a, an army jacket with medals on, you know, old enough to be in the Second World War. And his buddy was in a wheelchair and had his jacket on and medals on. And meeting a 10-year-old for the first time, what do you ask a 10-year-old, you know? What do you want to be when you grow up? And my great uncle Chris, who my grandmother said I would get along with really well, the first thing he asked me is, what do you want to be when you grow up, Craig? And I said, I don't know. I'm 10 years old. I guess that's what I was told. I said, I don't remember it entirely, totally well, but I'm you know, precocious child. I don't know. Tell me. And they said, well, we think you're going to be a futurist. And I said, a futurist? What's that? And how much does that pay? And they both laughed and said, well, we think maybe you're going to be a, a commercial futurist if you're asking that question. And the conversation went like this. Well, we understand from your grandmother that you like science fiction. Who have you read? And I said, Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov and Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, John Carter, Man of Mars. And they're all smiling. And they said, oh, well, they're all personal friends of ours. I said, what? They said, yes, they're personal friends of ours. And I said, yeah, really? No, you're pulling my leg. And the guy in the wheelchair said, uh, here, let me just give you one of my books. And he reaches around to the backpack that's hanging on the back of his wheelchair. And he pulls out a book. And it says, 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's pretty good. That's it's, it's, he said, that's my book. And I said, oh. And they said, well, we can introduce you to Ray Bradbury if you'd like. He's, I said, really? He said, yeah, all of us futurists get together. <laughs> and so, yes, being a futurist is a real job. That's how I got started. And uh, the World Future Society, WFS, is the peak society. It is 25,000 futurists from all over the world. About a third of us are uh, academics and researchers. About a third work for government and NGOs. Like at the UN, there's a whole bunch of futurists at the United Nations. And about a third of us work in the commercial world. That's where I come from. And I get to work with all sorts of organizations, big corporations, peak industry groups, uh, research organizations, and talk to them about the future. 
And I just love it because the, everything that I thought was going to be happening in the future when I was 10, 11 years old is happening today. Everything that was science fiction is becoming science reality. And that's why I'm so excited about what's happening right now. Science fiction and science reality. I mean, that's, that's tremendous. You know, I, I think about this from the perspective of, you know, art creating reality and reality creating art, you know, where, where we come up with um, certain designs for a car or how we're living, the Jetsons and Space Odyssey, and that's what it's going to look like in 2020 and 2050. And guess what? We are in 2020 now almost. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's so like you got to ask the question, you know, so what's next, right? And what is next? I, yes. What, what comes next? And everybody's talking about this thing. As you would know, Reuben, the, Reuben, the, the fourth industrial revolution and what it's going to be driven by. And they say it's going to be driven by VR and AR and AI. And it used to be three-letter acronyms, but now we've got two-letter acronyms. And, uh, and it, I see it happening, and especially in your world, in the startup world. And uh, it's driving startups. You just see it. They're, they're picking up on these trends, saying that we have these new technologies, new possibilities, and let's turn it into a business opportunity. And this morning, there are 342 uh, uh, unicorns. 342 unicorns, Ruben. And uh, everyone's striving to take these new technologies and turn them into reality. And when I look at where we are uh, today, I think that uh, a lot of the people that are leading startups into this space and taking advantages of artificial intelligence and AR, VR, video streaming, and so on, it's uh, all around that they're trying to create an ideal future, right? Solve a problem for, for people. And so I think many leaders of startups are just futurists in disguise. I think you might be a futurist in disguise, right? And I just think it's incredible because the World Economic Forum, you know, Davos, where they have that big meeting, the World Economic Forum, they say that the startup community is really the, the bellwether industry that shows what the future is going to be a little bit like. And you, and it's a, just over a trillion dollars worth of value has been created by, you know, organizations like yours altogether. It's incredible. It's a whole new industry that we didn't even expect, right? There are so many, um, so many, uh, we can't just call them unicorns because they're worth $20 billion or $30 billion. So $20 billion, is that a dodecacon? Um, I don't know what that is, but that that's huge. And you look at an organization like, well, let's let's look at one like uh, DJI, and they're making drones, and you get all these drone shots. It's like obligatory now. If you have a, a promotional video, you have to have a drone shot in it, right? And when you look at that, ten years ago, they couldn't exist. They couldn't exist ten years ago. Why? Well, we hadn't shipped billions and billions of cell phones. We, and if we, didn't have, if we hadn't shipped billions of them, then the accelerometers, the tilt monitors, the GPS, those chips wouldn't have come down in price, and now they're just pennies, and they couldn't have made their drones. And you think about this, it's, everybody says, well, Craig, Craig, 
come and talk to us about the future because we feel like things are accelerating. Are they really accelerating? And I said, they really, really are. So if you look back um, uh, to some great futurists who made some predictions that really came true, one is a great futurist that used to lecture at UC San Diego, Buckminster Fuller. And Buckminster Fuller, who created the geodesic disk, uh, he studied the rise of, of human knowledge. And he said that human knowledge at, at 1900 doubled every about 100 years. And by 1945, it was a doubling about every 35 years. And now human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. And within 10 years, IBM says human knowledge will double every 12 hours. And thanks to one technology in this group of technologies that are driving the fourth industrial revolution, just one technology, I, IBM says that the Internet of Things will generate so much data that it will accelerate human knowledge every double, every 12 hours. Now, when you so say it, human knowledge, is that sort of an aggregate intelligence of, of us as a species, or is that what individually we know? Define that, please. Okay, so human knowledge is the collected wisdom that we get from data. So it's not just data, right? So we could have these sensors, IoT sensors, and we could collect billions and billions and trillions of data points. What human knowledge is, is when you look at data and you say, this is what I've learned from that. So that's human knowledge. And this is how it's measured. UC Berkeley measures this. So they measure the amount of human knowledge created. So it could be uh, all the engineering knowledge, all the medical knowledge, all, uh, all the knowledge, well, they also classify, by the way, um, all the amounts of pages of legal knowledge we have as well. And when it comes to legal knowledge, that's mostly regulations these days. And if you look in the United States and in Australia where I live and other the developed world, the amount of legislation, regulations are doubling now every 12 months. And so that's just one data point. And we call that human knowledge as well, because it's knowledge of the law that we've created and regulations as well. Wow, that makes sense to me. Doubling every 13 months. That's right incredible. now. Yes, but 12 hours in 10 years. So what does that mean? It means that if you feel like the world is actually accelerating, it really is. And it's not what I'm saying. This is IBM's picking up uh, Buckminster Fuller's research and running with it. And I just see these things and I say, this is incredible. This is an opportunity to transform the world and create uh, huge opportunities for those who haven't had opportunities. And I'd like to tell you the good news, Ruben, the good news is we've lifted a billion people out of poverty thanks to technology. Thanks to technology. One technology called the mobile phone lifted a billion people out of poverty. And it looks like in the next year, uh, next 10 years, we're going to lift another 2 billion people out of poverty. And when people say, oh, I think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, I say, not for these billion people that have been lifted out of poverty. They know that uh, technology has really helped them. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world. And I go, get to go to places 
all over the world. The first thing that people get these days is they get a mobile phone. Even before they've got a clean toilet or running water, the phone is their connection to the world. It's their bank, even if they don't have a bank. It's an incredible thing to see. And when you think about it, 10 years from now, will we have a screen in our hand? Or we just have something in our ear or on our face? I think the technology is going to get tiny enough. You just think of where we come from desktop computers to mobile phones in our hands and now on our, wit, our wrists. Uh, I think it's definitely going to be on our face or in our ear in the future. Don't you think, Ruben? I, I agree with you. I think that's definitely where we're headed. I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a really interesting conversation for me, um, particularly because you know, my background is Indian. So my family was from India. They immigrated here in the 70s, my parents. And you know, I saw, I grew up going to India, India every so many years. And it's amazing how much I have seen that place evolve, right? So I went there before the boom. And um, it was, you know, it had its tough spots. It's a developing nation. Some call it a third world nation. And this was kind of pre-tech boom, if you will. And, um, and then all of a sudden, it just happened. And it was incredible. <laughs> and to your point, everyone has a cell phone. You know, their internet connections are tremendous. Actually, they're much faster in a lot of places than what we have here because it's a mobile first infrastructure. Whereas for here, it's like we sort of stuck with the landlines and whatnot. And, uh, you know, people are just connected, not to mention there's all the great um, universities for engineering. And, you know, Indians, I think, have that architecture, engineering, sort of problem-solving mindset. So with all of those things combined, it just it blew up the nation. And it's just incredible now when you go to India because, first of all, there's no brain drain. Um, people stay there because they realize there's opportunity and there's, you know, great standards of living. But also, it's technologically advanced. And I love your vision of pulling another billion people on planet earth, you know, out of poverty, because I know India could use that. Yes, it's definitely happening. We can see it right now because I get to work in the not-for-profit sector and this is definitely, definitely uh, happening. And I have a funny story about India. I have to tell you, I got a call from uh, one of the mobile, big mobile carriers out there. And they said, Craig, we see that you are the futurist in residence for telecommunications Australasia. We'd like to invest, uh, invite you to come to Goa and present to thousands of our executives. And I said, yes, I am the futurist in residence for telecommunications Australasia. And I've worked with many of the telecommunications carriers. And here in Australia, our biggest uh, uh, telco is, Tes uh, is Telstra. And Telstra you know, is, is the big carrier. Then we have a competitor, big competitor, Optus, and then Vodafone. And I said, oh, well, I've worked with all the carriers here in, in Australia and in Singapore, Singtel. And they kind of chuckled and they said, yes, yes, we know you've worked with uh, Telstra. And they said, but could we tell you that we're a hundred times bigger than Telstra is? <laughs> this was one, this is one tell, one tell, one, you know, it's a big, big, and you, that came from just like that. Just, it came so quickly. And it's true everywhere in the world. And you think that all these things are, are tying together. It's creating new opportunities, new businesses that never existed before, created a whole new economy. And we're just at the beginning. We're just at the beginning. So um, I see these things that I've, I've always wanted to uh, uh, play with, and I've got a satellite that's over my shoulder here, 
This is the International Space Station. And of course, Arthur C. Clarke predicted, he predicted during the Cold War when, when uh, countries weren't at war, but they were uh, at each other's throats. He predicted that they would come together for science and create an International Space Station, which they did. That is an International Space Station come together for science and that we would have a moon base and yay, we're finally going back to the moon. It's great that we're finally going back to moon and then on to Mars. And just within the last few weeks, we've had this fantastic announcement that uh, the planetary society that I financially back launched a fantastic new cube satellite, you know, about the size of a shoebox. And you may have heard about it. It's called the light sail. Did you hear about the light sail, Ruben? No, I haven't heard about this. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> because I, when I was 10 years old, 11 years old, there was this TV program. It was called Cosmos. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Carl Sagan was, was a huge fan of this idea that we could put out gigantic mylar sails and that the photons of the sun would stri strike that bounce off it, and the uh, momentum from those photons would push the light sail uh, out into space. And we've just had a successful launch of that. I wonder, if, can I share my screen so you can see that? Please. Okay, yeah, just, just a second. Great, here and then you can the just, light sail. just, yeah, just give us your descriptions of this as well. That's great. Yes, yes. So it's a little shoebox satellite, and in it had this gigantic, um, well, it's, 30 square meters or so, 36 square meters of um, very, very thin mylar, um, many times thinner than your uh, hair on your head. It's tiny and it deployed and it sails on the solar wind, essentially. We don't call it solar wind really, but that's the idea uh, behind it. it. Was First, the idea was proposed in the 1600s by a monk who said, I, I think I can sail on the winds of the sun. He didn't know uh, really about the technology, but uh, Carl Sagan was a huge proponent of this, and now we've tested it. And the idea is that you put it, um, you know, uh, uh, at a right angle to the sun, and it pushes you out, and then you tack, just like a sailboat. You twist the sail, to uh, come upstream, essentially. And uh, we discovered some uh, remarkable things. We, the solar sail was pushed up into uh, space farther than they thought it would go, um, but also it's, um, it came closer to the Earth than we thought as well. So a big oval orbit, and that's what we'd like to see. And what's great about this is that we could launch this here on Earth, it would gather speed, it would keep on accelerating, and we could ride this without any fuel all the way out to uh, Jupiter and uh, travel many million miles, uh, upwards of four million miles a day just using this technology, no fuel. And this is what I mean when I say the things that I expected when I was 10 years old are becoming science reality today. This is another perfect example of that. And related to the International Space Station, did you know, Ruben, that they're actually live streaming from the ISS in 4K? They're live streaming right now as we speak. 
You know, I knew that there was a live stream. I didn't know that it was in 4K. I, I have not seen it, actually. I know that someone mentioned that it might be on EarthCam or one of those sites, but um, I'd love to, if you can share that, I'd love to see that. It'd be great to get sure. a description as well. Sure. So uh, all you have to do is go to this video website you may have heard of called YouTube. <laughs> I've heard of YouTube. <laughs> yes. And if you type in um, ISS for the International Space Station, live earth view hd you'll find uh space videos uh nasa watch now and here's one that's live and i'll just share my screen so you can see that oh we're <laughs> we're on the dark side right now <laughs> <laughs> literally, really, literally, but uh, black. Let's see if we've got. There we go. Here's a good one. So what you're seeing from uh, the top there is a live view. Well, a live view that was recorded. This is a uh, uh, live-ish out 45, 45 minutes ago. 45 minutes ago. The great thing about the ISS is it makes an orbit every 90 minutes. So you go from the dark side to the, to the light. And you, well, it, I mean, that's incredible. You can, you can actually see the movement. I mean, as I look at this, this thing is clearly moving. I mean, how fast is the ISS moving? I wonder, you know, because yeah. it's, you can, you can see uh, that it's making progress over the ocean and, and the yes. clouds. And that's just, that's tremendous. I mean, um, you know, this reminds me of, of an article that I actually read not too long ago. USA Today, where it was a, a super Earth that was discovered just 31 light years away. And yes. you know, I, re I read everything I could possibly read about this because I was just blown away. It's called um, GJ357D, very, very clever uh, <laughs> <Yes>. and memorable <laughs> title. <laughs> but uh, when I read this, it was, you know, I was blown away by it from, you know, in sort of astronomic perspective. But really from a philosophical perspective that, you know, life is so close and the possibility of life is right out there. 31 Especially, light years away. Yes, yes. Now, even at um, 3.6 million miles a day on the light sail, the problem is it wouldn't be for uh, inter interstellar travel. It'd just be solar system travel because once you get out past about uh, Jupiter, you're only going to get about 4% uh, of the power because of the distance from the sun. So we'll have to develop uh, other technology. But uh, it, well, I love this view because down on the center panel there, down at the bottom, you can see the orbit. I think they're traveling at about 17,000 miles per hour or so. And you can see where the, the path is and where it's going to go. And I have a little uh, Nixie clock using uh, these old Russian... Uh, precursors to digital uh, numbers. And my Nixie clock, when the ISS flies over my house, I get a little uh, notification, ISS overhead. And um, you can do this on your phone. There's an app from NASA on your phone called ISS overhead, and you'll get a notification. And if you grab very strong binoculars, and don't never look at the sun, but grab um, very strong binoculars and look uh, straight up at uh, about dusk um, uh, using the ISS app, you can actually see the International Space Station without a telescope. It really is incredible. 
And I have to tell you, I was in Las Vegas last January when NASA and Amazon, Amazon is actually pr providing the satellite link. They have, uh, I don't know if you know this, they have satellite links on demand. Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do because Jeff Bezos also has a, um, a spacecraft uh, company called Blue Origin. And they launched uh, with uh, NASA and, and uh, Amazon the 4K live stream, both directions, Ruben. So not just streaming, it's um, video uh, chat two directions and they said this was really important because um why did they say and i think this really resonates with your startup ruben that video creates an emotional connection with people video creates emotional connection and what we want to do is create that high emotional connection and i know i love to leave this just streaming on my tv as i get my work done i find it so relaxing, relaxing. I get a lot of work with just seeing the ISS over my, you know, over my laptop's screen. And think about this: that what's going to be coming next? What's the next for video? And I can I can clearly see it. What did the Jetsons have? The Jetsons had video walls, and every wall full of screens. And you see Minority Report. Every building, every wall was video. We're clearly going that direction. We can now buy for a couple thousand dollars a little projector that you put against your wall and it fills the wall with beautiful 4K resolution images. It's clearly we're going to be going to video walls everywhere and we're just at the beginning days. <laughs> we're just we're just getting started. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Well, I mean, speaking of which, we, you know, you mentioned Dub and you mentioned our startup and it's, it's been a fun process. And, you know, it's, we sort of live within these two realms of, you know, A, providing functionality that allows people to communicate better using video right now, using existing systems. But then there's the Dub Labs, okay? And that's behind the veil and that's in our minds and it's in our, it's, it's, experiments its ideas it's where is dub gonna go in the next five years and we're constantly thinking about that you know um and uh you know as we evolve the platform we also realize that we have to have this parallel track of the next generation you know and uh, i'd love to get your feedback on how businesses are going to start to leverage video in the future and how we're gonna just generally speaking communicate better with video yes well uh I can see right now that more and more organizations are taking their lead from the startup uh, community and they're using video conferencing like uh, Zoom and other apps, but Zoom's the one that's growing incredibly right now. Um, and they're leaving it on full time. And I didn't expect it. <laughs> speaking of which, you can actually uh, take it off the, the uh, screen share for, from Zoom oh, yeah. here. <laughs> Yes. So uh, I just love it. It's just so relaxing. Sorry. <laughs> but but I, and I leave that live stream running, you know, uh, streaming from my Apple TV. And I didn't expect this. You know, when I saw the science fiction movies in the past and I saw the video screens, I thought people would turn them on and off, but they don't turn them off. They leave them on all the time. 
And uh, this is what we're, we're seeing because we live in a, a global marketplace now. And I'm speaking to you from Sydney. You're in uh, California, right? Yep. And uh, I know startups that have offices all around the world and they just open up their live stream and leave it running all day long. And I thought this was strange behavior until my daughter, um, about a, oh, oh, 10, 12 years ago when she was young, I remember her playing Scrabble with her cousin. And they'd open up a Skype call and set up the board on either end. And I remember Sabrina, my daughter, coming downstairs. And upstairs, I'd hear this little voice. And it was her cousin, Chloe, saying, Sabrina, come up here. It's your move. It's your move. And they didn't want to play, you know, words with friends. They wanted to play Scrabble on a board. And it was just like being there, right? The next best thing to being there. And her cousin was in England and she was in Sydney and they could play Scrabble together. And what she did, even as a child, was left video running, you know, the whole time that she was awake. And so now she's an, an adult. She's 22, getting married soon. And uh, she's going to be getting married in Sydney. And of course, what do you do when people, thank you very much. It's going to be exciting, but some people can't travel to Sydney. And so what are we going to be doing? Of course, we're going to be live streaming the whole the whole thing because oh, that's nice. just second nature to her this next generation to have video running all the time so uh think about this for your labs what if we live in a world where we don't just send a clip but we live in a world where people have video running all the time and i think we're getting there we're definitely getting there with many of the global startups that i work with um, I went to LinkedIn's offices in Sydney, beautiful new offices in Sydney in this beautiful shining uh, tower, and they have 45 video conferencing rooms, and they're always full, mm. you know, simultaneously. It's incredible. It really is incredible. And when we think about it, what's going to be coming next, I think it's going to be, you know, full walls and full time. And what does that mean for, uh, for you if it's full walls and full time? And I, it's definitely coming. It's an inevitable, inevitable. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many different ways to add um, interactivity to video as well. We talked about VR a little bit just a, a little while ago. And it's, it's funny, actually, just today I learned that, that Shannon here, whom you met, um, his father was actually an early, early uh, capture of the VR story. He was the director of Lawnmower Man um, oh. back in, I think, early 90s, 92 or so. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And I was just, I was watching the trailer for Lawnmower Man and I was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, back then to be capturing the story of virtual reality goggles, of going into another scape, another plane of existence, you know, where you can interact with, with a digital world and then now where we are, fast forward to 2019, where it's actually um, gone. And I, I think I can consume it from two perspectives. On one hand, well, has it evolved as much as it should have? Should it be a lot more? But on the flip side, it's pretty amazing. You know, I've put those goggles on, I've walked on the plank, and I have generally, you know, legitimately felt fear of falling to my death on a plank. Yes. And I'm really pro, especially I work mostly in the commercial world, about the possibilities of augmented reality. 
And I'm working with a big sport stadium right now that's being uh, raised. They're, they're smashing it, and they're going to be building a multi-billion dollar, $2 billion new uh, cricket ground. that all, you know, They also play Australian rules uh, football on this. And I'm advising them on their future technologies to keep the fans engaged. And now when people go to a sports game, they expect uh, a high-level experience. And uh, I'm connecting them with one of my customers. Uh, Intel has a video research lab, and you should check them out, Ruben. They've done some incredible demonstrations. Uh, just a couple years ago at CES, they showed this technology where they lined a sports field with um, little 8K action cams and um, all around the field. And they connected those together, those video images, so uh, into one, one stream. And they figured out which angles they were coming from. And because they were using multiple cameras and they could triangulate between those cameras, they created in 3D space in the computer, this gigantic supercomputer that could uh, massage all that video together, uh, each intersection of these uh, cameras became not a pixel, but a voxel, a volume area of a 3D pixel. And so rather than uh, sending out a drone or one of those cable cams or using a zoom lens, you can actually direct the video inside the helmet of the uh, football player. So, you know, as he's throwing the pass, you could see from his helmet into the, that direction. And you could fly to any point on the field. And so think about this. In the future, not only will we have uh, you know, flat screens, we're going to have volumeric volume Eric, <laughs> uh, voxels, where we're going to be able to move our point of view from anywhere to anywhere when we have multiple cameras. And today, that requires a supercomputer. And in 10 years' time, the supercomputers are going to be on our face, on our glasses, or in our ears. And we're going to be say, oh, I want to have the view from the top of that building, please. And we'll be able to view through our glasses from the top of that building without flying a drone. Imagine that. And well, that I mean, is that sounds like that sounds like God. <laughs> I know. It's incredible. And it, <laughs> this is not this is not science fiction. This is happening today. And yes, today you need millions of dollars. And well, you know what you're doing with your startup ten years ago, you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now we can do it with an app on your phone or Google Chrome plugin. It's it's incredible what we can do. And ten years from now, it's all going to be different. It's all going to be different. Well, see, what I struggle with quite often is is the content, you know, because yes, there's going to be more streams, more points of view, you know, more channels, more video, infinite amount of storage. Uh, com computation is going to be limitless. That's great, and that's dandy, and that's fine. But I think about the content. Is the content going to suffer? At some point, is there going to be so much noise because video has become so ubiquitous and that we're going to be actually suffering from getting quality content? You know, right now, I believe that we're in the, the quote unquote, you know, platinum era of the TV world because we have so much good quality content. It's a race. We, 
right? Every single channel, every single major network right now is just scrambling right now together to get their content together. And that's great. But what is it going to look like when the channels go a thousand X to your point from a consumption standpoint? I think about this. Yes. Well, if you think about this, we have two types of content. We have high production value, and then we have what I would call authentic. And I'll give you an example of this. So when I go and stand up on stage, my clients pay me $10,000 an hour for a live experience. When I do video mentoring, I have video office hours, people pay me to come into my um, mentoring group on a regular basis, pay me hundreds of dollars each for my live uh, office hours that I do on Zoom. Now, the, the, this is a different type of quality. It's not a live experience, it's not a theater experience, it's not a movie or a, a you know, $100 million production, but just like those video calls that they're having every day, it's the next, it's a much better experience than them sending me an email and asking me a question. They want to chat to me live. They want to have that two-way connection. And uh, we're going to see um, increasing budgets for high production because, well, you know, I don't even think we're at the peak now. I think we're at the start, not at the peak. I think we're going to be seeing even more fantastic productions. But we're going to have a lot more what I call authentic everyday communication uh, on an increasing basis. And for some people, that's, you know, eight hours a day, nine hours a day, 12 hours a day. Um, but we're going to be seeing it. And why? Because we have this generation coming up that uh, have been streaming YouTube as they're watching TV, <laughs> as they're uh, you know, watching a DVD, as they're chatting with their friends on an app, as they're doing their homework, right? They're multimedia at the same time. And that next generation is used to that. And so for them, uh, they don't care if the video quality isn't as good as long as the message and information is good. They don't care if the video's out of sync as long as the audio is good, right? They want to uh, just get the inf information. And I think we're going to see the rise of premium content like you're talking about. And I see that there's going to be the rise of this everyday content as well. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's mind blowing to think about this, where we're all going here. I mean, a lot of the people that, that I'm connected to and that, uh, you know, dub is used by it's, it's business folks. And, um, you know, I think we're all in this kind of world where we want to consume content. We're on LinkedIn, we're on YouTube, we're on the channels and we see a lot of stuff, right? But a lot of us suffer from this distraction component where we need to get our stuff done. But at the same time, we want to know what is new and what is happening. And we want to, sort of peer into the lives of other people so that we can kind of educate ourselves. You know, what is that going to look like from, from an attention span perspective? How can we, um, how can we sort of get ahead of that to the point where we don't get um, frustrated by so many streams coming at us? Yes, we're going to have to get better at filtering. And I get to ask this question all the time, Craig, how as a futurist do you filter out um, all the noise and just uh, focus on the future because that's well, what we want you to do. 
And uh, uh, I'll give you a couple tips of things that futurists do. We used to uh, walk into news agents, you know, magazine stores, newspaper stores. We used to walk into these places and we used to pick up random magazines so we could expand our point of view. So we would do an environmental scan, see what people are talking about in different industries. That's one technique that we would use. And now these days, of course, we can do that on the internet. But we're so overwhelmed by, let me say, fake news, that we need to have systems, and I don't mean political fake news, but you know, websites that have been put up that aren't necessarily scholarly based or research based. I should say. <laughs> and the so I have filters that I use in my business and in my personal development. Uh, and I'll give you an example of how to do this, Ruben. So you know on, on Twitter, you can create a list. You can create, create a list of Twitters, of Twitter user accounts. And uh, I've created a list of the top 600 futurists in the world. And I take that list and I feed it into an app, uh, an app that's been around for quite a long time that people love called Flipboard. And what happens is if a lot of my futurist friends say, hey, the light sail just launched successfully and they share a video, then Flipboard automatically feeds in the video of the light sail being launched and being successful. And so I'm using a human filter to filter the good news that's coming into my Flipboard. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I, I'm a Flipboard user. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Yes. And my son who plays video games, he's 20. He has a huge um, group of friends on Discord, right? Discord's a chat, a chat platform that they just announced that they're going to be doing live video streaming as well in this uh, chat server that he uses when he's playing games. And he's constantly using his, um, his friends that are playing games together as a filter to what's important. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so these days uh, we can see these early signals of uh, how people are using filter filters. Um, when I do strategic planning with my clients, I, I work in 50 different industries per year. I work in um, broadcast industries. I work in the education industry and in the airline industry, medicine, and so on. I use an AI tool called Athena. And Athena, I can ask the question, what's the future of food? What's the future of pork? What's the future of meat? And Athena will instantly scan 90 billion web pages just for scholarly research, peer-reviewed studies, and um, uh, consulting reports. So it doesn't look at news. In fact, I think people should go on a news diet, frankly. Get, ignore the news and focus on the future, I tell them, if you want to be happier. <laughs> and uh, Athena will tell me in a tenth of a second, these are the my major driving forces changing. For instance, two days ago, I was working with 500 pest controllers, <laughs> rats <laughs> and cockroaches and uh, termites. And I could go to Athena and ask her, show me the future of a pest control. And bang, I got a thousand scholarly 
and consulting data points in a tenth of a second. So another example of using filters to filter out all this content that isn't relative to us. Two types, an A, we, I believe we will all have in the future an AI filter like Athena and we'll have the wisdom of crowds like my son has his Discord server. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, how can we use Athena? How can we find that? Oh, so um, uh, Athena is part of a website called Shaping Tomorrow. It's Shaping Tomorrow has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of futurists on it, all sharing their research uh, together in every industry you could imagine. And uh, also, so it's a combination of peer-reviewed and an algorithm. And it's uh, quite expensive. I subscribe to it for, um, you know, it starts at a couple thousand dollars a year. Uh, I think I spent about $20,000 on it last year. But uh, I have to tell you, I've got clients that spend $20,000 doing strategic planning once a year. And I'm using it with 100 different clients, right? And when I ask them, uh, how, um, how are you looking at the future? What tools do you use? They say, oh, we just do a Google search. I say, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> use a slightly more professional tool, please. When thinking about your research and development, do more than just Google it. You look at some of these professional tools that futurists use, like shapingtomorrow.com. Uh, you, not only will your strategy planning, your research planning uh, be better, it will be better quality you know, and it will be done cheaper as well. Cheaper as well. Well, I mean, I, I got to do it here. So can we put you on the spot and do, uh, do a little search? <laughs> well, yeah. Hold on a second. Let me log All in. Right. And, and while you're doing that, I'll kind of give you a little bit of, um, there's sort of another topic that I wanted to explore with you. Sure. Which is really the idea of evolution. And, um, you know, in, in Dub's early days, uh, there was a commercial that I was trying to iterate and come up with a theme for sort of a script. And there was this dinosaur character. And this dinosaur character was sort of a metaphor for the old way, you know, and the old way of doing things. And then I sort of realized, I, I recorded a little video and I sort of realized that it wasn't totally compassionate because you know, everyone is on a different path. Everyone is using different tools. Some of us use Google. Some of us don't know about Athena. You know, some of us use email. We don't know about Dub. Some of us use our resume. We don't know about LinkedIn and so on and so forth. And that, you know, each and every person has that path and, you know, they can choose the tools that they want to choose. And some of us can be very successful without using all this kind of high tech, you know, and it's always gotten me thinking and it's actually one of my drivers, one of my passions now to, to really create something that everyone can use if they want to use it. And if they don't, well, that's cool too. But that's been a, that's been a driver for me. Yes. And I think what we have to think about is who is our ideal audience, right? Who is our, you must have a, uh, an avatar, a customer profile for who your uh, ideal customer is. And I know I work with lots and lots and lots of uh, sales and marketing teams. And uh, they're always asking me, uh, what's the future? 
And uh, Dub, I think, is a perfect example of um, uh, the, this rise in sales and marketing apps that are ideal for uh, communication teams. And if I have to talk to you about the future of sales and marketing, I'll have to lump them together because sales is becoming more like marketing and marketing's becoming more <laughs> like sales, right? Well said. They're, they're merging together and we see this uh, all the time. I'm gonna share my screen so you get an idea of what uh, Shaping Tomorrow looks like. It's a fantastic professional tool and it's just done a quick scan of what's happening around in the world since I first uh, logged in and then I don't know if you can read that there it's pretty tiny but it's scanned th uh, 358,584 data points that are, that are scholarly research um, or, or consulting firms that have published anything on the internet that's not password protected that has the future of or global trends or future trends or our forecast is pop into this automatically. And so for instance, one that popped in was the global smartphone shipments fell 4% to about 1 billion in 2018, marking the industry's first decline in 10 years. So Ruben, it looks like we've reached peak phone, right? It's like yeah, almost I mean, everybody on the planet has a phone. So it's gonna flatten off a little bit. It's gonna flatten off that huge growth that we had. And so well, we, it's, it's also less, less of us replacing our phones. We're happy with our phones from one or two years ago or more. Yeah. And so let's see what's the future of video. And I'll just type that in. And it's finding all our data points. Wow, look at that, 6K cameras. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And it's looking at uh, this spider chart here, shows that uh, video is going to be uh, more closely, in the future, video is gonna be more closely tied to creating income in the future. I think that's good news for your well, startup, right? Well, that's, that's our thesis, yeah. Yes, yes, and here is a word cloud. I'll see if I can blow that up a little bit larger. Can I zoom that up a little bit? Yeah, okay. And look, the, the references in this data refer to Facebook and video uh, even more than YouTube and Instagram and Amazon, and those are organizations. And how about people? I can find, oh, Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> and uh, sectors, what sectors? And IT what sources, theater. yeah, right? And countries, and China. USA, yeah, USA, China, India, Russia. But right now, you know, even though uh, India is producing more movies right now, there's more investment in content in USA, obviously, than anywhere else in, in the world but China's coming up quickly, right? And then what I can do is I can drill down more into forecasts. I can say, give me an instant narrative, a story of the future of video. Let's see about a narrative of the future of video. And it's searching through about 1,500 different data points here. And so what it's, Athena says to me is, here's an instant theme story 
of the likely most important emerging forecasts for your interest topic. Interesting. And you, right? And so we've got industry, video. So we got video will constitute 82% of overall web traffic by 2022. Yeah, we, we've seen right. that statistic. That's compelling. That's amazing. Yeah, live video TV will streaming. 82% of overall web traffic by 2022. 2022, that's yes. amazing. Live TV streaming and exclusive content through subscriptions will push consumer spending on video streaming services to 17 billion in 2019, up 25%, up 25%. Well, Disney's got theirs coming up. Hulu's is exploding. exploding. Their announcement was just a couple days ago and the pricing is really, really uh, undercutting Netflix. I mean, you get all the, all the content, you get all the old movies, you get all the TV, you get all the Fox stuff, and now and they're gonna do a, a sports bundle for an under twenty dollars a month. They're gonna kill it. They're gonna kill it. It's incredible. Uh, Google said it should be capable of four K video at sixty frames per second, and should be able to output eight K video at one hundred and twenty frames per second. Well, you mentioned that our screens are getting bigger. We're gonna have video walls. So that's right. You know, when we shoot videos, we actually shoot in just in just 1080p. We actually have not adopted 4K because, you know, of the frequency issue. And we just a lot of you know the vast majority of the people that are consuming our content are on mobile devices, tiny little screens, yep. three, four inch screens. So yep. uh, you know, there, there's there a video some, wall. <laughs> there's a yeah, video wall. There you go, video wall. MPP. Yeah. LED, there it is. So, LED. Uh, so I'm always interested to hear about you know what are what are people. Um, future-proofing for their content and how are they doing so yeah and so these video walls are, are currently made with little LEDs um, last in, in January I was at the CES show and they were showing off micro LEDs and I could walk up to that screen and look for the pixel and I was this far away from it and I could not see the pixel and it was blinding bright. It was incredible. And so the next version of these walls are going to be, you know, perfect. Not those uh, big LEDs that you see at some sport games. Right. So that's video and then traffic, all the traffic stats and the services, all the services and gaming and ads and content My and gosh, platform and streaming and advertising and revenue, right? And so that's a, an instant theme story. And if you were doing a strategic plan or doing research and development, you'd really want to report like this to verify your assumptions that you're making, right? The theories that you're testing. Well, I mean, this is this has definitely been, you know, an eye opener for me, just because I think um, I need to I need to really start to expand my mindset and to really think about the future because I think. To your point, if we get too stuck on news and things are happening immediately around us, we're not able to make big, long strides that move us forward uh, for the long run. So That's right. And here are the top questions. This would be interesting to you if you're a startup in the video space. Uh, what questions, what are the top questions that people are asking? So here's the top question. Will the broader video trend drive use of video among financial inst- um, institutional customers? Um, ah. How can we control the, the spread of video-based fake news without unduly infringing the art, satire, and even trolling? 
um, might deep fakes, especially those of celebrities or public figures, ever be a legitimate form of the aesthetic expression of their creators in a similar way that deeply offensive pornographic video is still a form of expression. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, Will Smith in, in his in his newest film, I mean, he's got a younger version of himself, which I, yes. I saw the trailer for it. I actually saw the YouTube video on how they actually created the younger version of Will Smith. And it is amazing. The quality, I mean, you cannot tell, you know, at least from the trailer, you, you cannot tell that figure, that character, um, you know, from CGI. It, he looks real. It looks, it looks like a human being. So it's, it's, it's just amazing what, what's possible now. You yes. know, I mean, I think this is why Keanu Reeves has so many fake accounts for on social media. Everyone's trying to be him. And now, of course, you know, people are starting to create videos of him where they're getting him to talk. Yes. And if you ever have to do a business plan and talk to investors, it's important that you have visual communication tools. And here we have a systems map and a world cloud, and we can see the impact around uh, geographies. And then we can list all the sources that they come from. And we've got spline graphs and spider graphs, radars, and a dashboard and SWOT analysis. And this isn't, let's do a quick SWOT analysis on video. Um, this isn't internal SWAT. It's not your strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. The, this is external. What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Um, and look at that, Ruben. This is great business to be in. There are far more opportunities and, uh, than weaknesses and threats. And so what they've done, they looked at all the research and they've classified it. Uh, is that research report a weakness or is it a threat? And there are far more reports around opportunities, 856 versus 154 threats, 72 weaknesses, and 178 for the strengths. Well, I mean, if you think about this, you know, we consume video content, I think, for a number of reasons. But one of them, the primary one is probably entertainment, right? We we want to enjoy ourselves watching storytelling in a visual format. But number two is solving this big problem of trust, which is on the internet where we don't trust things that we're going to buy or people that we're going to work with. And, you know, I think that one of the trends here is that we're, we're solving this trust issue, you know, by, by visual storytelling, by showing ourselves, by showing technology, you know, peeling the onion off, removing the veil and showing what's, what's underneath the hood. Um, because when people see that, they can understand things, they can comprehend things, and they can make better choices as a result. Yes. So listen, if I could give two big recommendations to your viewers, your listeners of this is uh, give yourself a media diet, <laughs> put yourself on a media diet and broaden your point of view because uh, you might think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but the good news is it's not really. It's not really. It's just you're listening to the news too much. And I'd like to make an offer to your viewers, to your offers, if they'd like to drop in to my monthly um, office hours, I call it mentoring. They can go to my website, futuretrendsgroup.com, and click on the mentor button that's just there at the top. And it's uh, free of charge. It's a community service that I do on a monthly basis. And they could ask me about their industry. And I'll do a quick scan like I did for you, Ruben, if they'd like to do that. I do always do that on the fourth 
um, Monday of every month, the fourth Monday of every month. Got it. So web address is futuretrendsgroup.com. And then there's a, a link on the top navigation mentor. Click on that. And then you can grab this every fourth of, of the month. Um, it's a free um, sort of coaching session or, or strategy it is. session. Yeah, it, it's my open office hours. So one of the things that a professor taught me is that I need to have regular office hours where people can drop in and just ask me anything. So this is my drop in, drop in and ask me anything. Beautiful. Love it. Great. Well, listen, this, this, was a, <laughs> this was a really interesting call. I mean, we talked about a lot of a lot of topics, you know, and I think really it's, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people to think about the future because frankly, we get so caught up, we get so stuck into what's around us and our conflict. And I think that the, the beauty of this about thinking about the future is that at least for me, it kind of liberates me, you know, and it makes me realize to your point that, you know, we're headed for a good place because, you know, people are inherently good. I believe in that. Yes. And I think that the world would be a better place if we all thought a little bit more like futurists do. I really believe that. I love that. Well, Craig, I really appreciate your time. Sure. I'm glad I could help. And I'm excited about using your uh, app, the Dub app, and giving it a try with my clients because I know uh, the number one way that if I can't see them face to face, a way to connect to them is with uh, video. So I'm really excited about having a go. Well, I mean, with the backdrop that you have and your communication skills and this, you know, great storytelling that you have, um, people would be, you know, lucky to consume your content and to have oh. them uh, use you for their business. Oh, thanks very much. I really appreciate that. All right. Hey, why don't we check in again, maybe in a quarter or so, maybe in a few months time and see what the new hotness is out that there. That sounds great, Craig. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate the time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now.